0: Welcome to episode three of Exploring the CAF. I'm joined today by Sergeant Tonkin. Sergeant Tonkin is a regular force material management technician with one service battalion in Edmonton, Alberta. He has served with the military since 2002 and been deployed on four international operations. So Sergeant Tonkin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome, thank you for being here. So let's just jump right in. I think we're all curious about how you got involved in the military. Um, Can you just tell us why you joined and why you chose material management?
1: Um, So for me, um, 9-11 had happened the year before. um, And we all watched that on TV. um, And then the war on terror happened. We watched that on TV. And I just got feeling that I wanted to do something. So I originally looked at joining the reserves. Um, So I went to the Armory in Guelph, Ontario, um, and was quite surprised at how many jobs there are in the CAF that are not combat related. Um, So that kind of surprised me a little bit. And then at the time, um, married with two little kids working in a factory in Fergus, Ontario. And every day you went into work, it was, we're closing the plant were laying off people. When you're fifth from the bottom of the seniority list, you're getting laid off. So then I started thinking, well, why not do it full-time? So when I applied, um, I did the aptitude test and they're like, congratulations, you can do anything you want in the cap. (laughs) Uh, Then we went through the medical and I had applied for, um, talked to some people from my hometown who were in, um, they recommended some Air Force trades, spec pay, um, you know, hotels, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little cushy, um, but maybe better suited for a young family. And uh, then I did my medical and I'm colorblind.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Right. So it went from congratulations, you can do anything you want to congratulations, here's five trades you can pick from. Mm-hmm. So at the time, it was a supply technician. Um, we've since changed the name to material management technician. Um, but I was kind of doing that in the factory. I was a stock handler. I was driving forklifts. I was, you know, delivering paper to and from presses in the printing company and stuff like that. So it was a very similar type job and a very easy switchover. So that's what I picked and and went from there.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah, I totally agree. Like not many people know about non-combative roles in the military. So that's another reason why I'm really excited to have you on. And I saw that material management technicians are in demand right now. Um, so I was just hoping you could give us kind of like an overview of what you do, what you like about your career. Um, sell it to so, us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing about about material management is that it's a very diverse trade. Um We can do anything from um, simple receipts and issues of of items. You can work in the local purchasing uh, section, the LPO, as a buyer. Um, So you're buying the commodities, and then it goes to the receipt section, which is material people as well. And they do the receipts um, and get the items out to the other units that have bought them. You can work in clothing stores, issuing the clothing to all the members. you can work um, in rations and POL, um, you're also involved with material management, meaning stock taking and making sure that everything is accounted for and all the proper accounts are done at the proper time and everything is, is uh, any deficiencies are reported up the chain of command. Um, we do... Um, You get to drive a forklift. If you're lucky enough, you get to drive an RTFL or a Zoom Boom when we're out in the field doing exercises and and on deployments. Um, You work in spare parts. There's so many things you can do that um, uh, it's a very diverse trade. And and that's what I like about it.
0: And what kind of skills do you think um, maybe coming from the civilian side would help you in this role?
1: Um, I think the big thing is You have to be able to um, absorb a lot of knowledge. A lot of it does kind of transfer over. So once you learn how to do say receipts and issues, other sections you go to, you're going to do receipts and issues. Um, So that you you need to be able to absorb that information. But then there's um, in the LPO world, there's a lot of legalities um, that scare people away because you're spending you know taxpayers money so you want to make sure you're doing it properly um, and people get worried it's it's not as hard as it as it seems. Um, once you once you study it and you take the courses, you, you know um, you know what you can and can't do, and you have people around you to ask questions, so I think that's a big skill is is to be able to not be afraid to ask a question if you don't know. I mean, I've been doing this for going on 20 years, and I don't know everything about, about the trade. Like, I, I I like to think I know most, but there's definitely going to be a question that comes up. And that's, for me, part of the fun is we are a big trade. There's a lot of us. So it's easy to talk to your colleagues and and bounce ideas off of them on, you know, what do you think about this? Can we do that? Or how do we go about fixing this problem? And. So being a problem solver is a is a great skill, um, being motivated to learn and to ask questions. And I think one of the things for me that um, our trade needs more of is more. Um, you have to be willing to share your knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a big trade, so I understand sometimes people you want to progress, you want to move up in ranks and and that. So there's a tendency to maybe hold a little bit of knowledge to yourself so that you can you can exceed. Um for me, I would rather, as a senior NCO, I wanna see my my troops that are actually working for the team and making the team stronger and better by sharing their knowledge.
0: Right, that makes a yeah. lot, especially in such a big, um, I was watching the little trailer on the Forces website and it seems like, like you said, there's a huge breadth of these supply technicians working across different branches even. Um, mm-hmm. And I just actually interviewed a sailor the Navy looks pretty cool. I'm wondering why you chose the Army. <laughs>
1: um, well, so I originally chose Air Force. Oh, okay. Um, because like my friends had said, it's uh, cushy. Yeah. Um, the, the problem, I guess, with, with our trade is it's what we like to term a purple trade, meaning just because I'm Army, um, like I spent five years in Trenton on an Air Force base, um, in theory, I could get posted to a boat or to, a, a Navy base. So it doesn't really matter what element you are, you could end up, I mean, we like to think they try to put, you know, if you pick Navy, you probably picked it for a reason. So we'll try to put you in that doesn't always work out that way. Um, I was fortunate enough after my tour in 2006, that when I came home, um, <laughs> one of the little perks that unfortunately with COVID and and budgets, I don't know how much it happens anymore, but, um, sports is big in the military, obviously. Um, so I got lucky enough to be the backup goalie for the Edmont or for the Prairie region ball hockey team. So I ended up in uh, Shearwater for ball hockey nationals. (laughs) Um, so that was pretty cool, but we got a tour of a, of a ship that was in dock in Halifax. And um, for me personally, there is no way you're getting me on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at their sleeping, um, you you can barely lift your head off. The, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll take the trench at 4 a.m. Thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, it seems pretty squishy in there. Not for someone who's claustrophobic, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty tight. It is pretty tight. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Having said that, every person that I know who's spent time on a boat has absolutely loved it. So fair enough. So so there's that side of the coin.
0: Yeah, definitely. the The sailor I was talking to definitely preferred the navy. He first tried to join the army, and he was like, "Thank goodness that didn't happen," because <laughs> he really <laughs> likes his environment. So
1: I find a lot of it is what you what you know. Like for me, so my first posting was Edmonton, mm-hmm. um, and at that time things have relaxed a little bit here, but at that time, I can remember somebody cutting across the grass, and I remember seeing somebody stop their car and get out and yell at them to get off the grass. Um, and, then I got po- and then I got posted to Trenton, and in the Air Force world, there's a path through the grass to cut <laughs> off the sidewalk. So it, it was a very different world. So I was used to the more harsh of the army. And the one thing for people when I was first here, my first time as a you know as a you know no hook private brand new troop, um everyone was always like, God, oh, I hate wearing PT all the time. It's the same thing, the same shorts, the same T shirt, blah blah blah. Then I went to Trenton and they at Trenton anyway, I'm not sure on other Air Force spaces, but they didn't have PT strip. They just wore civvies for PT. So they went for a run and in Trenton there's no trails on the base really to run on. So you run through town. Oh, so it really okay. just looks like a group of people running through town. Whereas so that kind of gave me an appreciation for PT strip because you look professional. Mm-hmm. You have you all have the same shirt on, you all have relatively the same shorts, you know, black or blue or whatever your unit tells you the color they prefer. Mm-hmm. But you look professional. You're running through town in a in, you know in ranks, as a group, it, it looks professional. Whereas when I went there, I saw these guys running and I'm like, well, I know you're military, but that looks like <laughs> crap. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's funny.
1: No, no offense to my Air Force guys. They love their non-PT But <laughs> Yeah.
0: If you're watching this and you're in the Air Force and you want to do an interview, let me know.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. My, my, like I, I was used to ARMY so going to the air force was a shock i know from air force people who went the opposite way and showed up on an army base it's a big shock to them as well and they don't they don't get it um i appreciate it i did an exercise in um little rock arkansas um stayed in a hotel i mean yeah you know it's there's advantages to the hotel (laughs) Not, not gonna lie but um Yeah, I guess what you start out with, you figure it out, you get comfortable, it's what you know when you go somewhere different. You kind of, you either appreciate that more and be like, okay, hotels are the life for me. Or you're like, you know what, I kind of miss the, you know, the five, six guys in a tent because you have a little tighter camaraderie instead of everybody having their own. Yes, it's great to have a shower and, you know, porcelain and TV and a queen size bed, that's all great but you're kind of in your room. For me, the Army, yes, I'm on a COD and yes, I could be freezing my ass off, but at the end of the day, I'm there with, the, the bond Is for me is a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that
0: makes so that's, sense. That's, yeah. Yeah, so I think just jumping back a little bit to training because I know a lot of people watching this, they're new recruits, so they're always wondering like, what's the training like? And for you, I know it was in 2002, so things might've changed a little bit, But if you don't mind just kind of walking us through what it was like for you
1: back then. Basic was interesting. Um, I didn't really appreciate basic until I was probably on the bus heading to Borden from St. Jean. Um, I hit the Christmas break. So I got to kind of do half of, what was it? Week eight, I think it was. I did it kind of half Monday to Wednesday. And then we had Thursday to clean up. Friday we were gone for Christmas break, and then we came back and it was kind of get back into things. So, but basic was one of those things that I tell people: it's like when you're in it, it kind of sucks. There's moments that it that it kind of sucks. The sooner you figure out how to play the game, the better off you'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> I joined at 30, so I was a little older. Um, so one thing that I had that I figured out very quickly was that on um, lower rank inspections things weren't weren't quite so bad like when it was a you know the course warrant or the commandant or somebody we made sure everything was like as good as we could get it but when the master corporal or master bombardier was coming through um i learned quickly that leave something for him to yell at you about and then he leaves you alone (laughs) (laughs) so we weren't allowed to eat technically we weren't supposed to eat in our rooms in, in the mega in St. Jean. So what I, one day what I did was I took a Snickers wrapper and I put it in my DEU jacket pocket oh. and he oh. stuck his hand in the pocket and lost his ever loving mind. And then he left. <laughs> and my inspection was about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's... So, so it worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh Basic was one of those things that in the middle, I remember getting on the, so I took a train from Toronto to Montreal and then a bus. I think I called the master corporal on the bus, sir, at least twice. The third, Maybe the third time he yelled at me. Um, I remember going on the bridge, going over the St. Lawrence, looking out the window, thinking, what the hell am I doing? Mm
0: -hmm. Like,
1: Mm -hmm. what am I doing? (laughs) Um, But like I said, at the end of it all, On the bus to Borden. Um, We had a good time on the bus and a a lot of great memories and made a lot of really, really, you make really close, fast friends
0: Hmm.
1: Um, just because it's a high stress thing and you you figure things out really quickly. From there uh, we go to Borden for my trade um, and do our QL3s uh, trade training, basic trade training. And that is for material management tech, that's all on computers. You're in a computer lab, you're, you're learning, um, back then it was slightly painful because they have to go at the level of the lowest person. So we were literally starting at, okay, you take your mouse to the bottom left corner and click on start. And then it's like, (laughs) are you kidding me? But that's just, you have to teach that way because you don't know where everybody is. Um, from there were posted. So then I was posted to Edmonton. Um, and then you ideally move around to different sections to learn different parts of your trade kind of your OJT or QL4 qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, I went overseas um, from my first tour at Afghanistan in 2006 and I worked in customer service um, mm-hmm. overseas. Um, that was excellent. I learned a lot about the trade in that job. I think that job really um, set me that I had picked the right trade and that I wanted to do this um, for my career I came home from that and I got posted to um, one uh, CER um, one combat engineer regiment in the uh, in the air there and that was fantastic as well and then we go on our ql 5s training back to Borden so I went back to Borden for QL5s um, and that once you've done that, you're basically a qualified MMT, and usually, usually a corporal. <clears throat> Excuse me. From there, um, bounced around. I went to Trenton, got promoted to master corporal, um, and then once I got promoted to sergeant, the last course in Borden for our trade is your QL sixes. Um, but all of our trade training is in a computer lab behind the computer doing, um, working in the supply system to do, Mm. to learn the job, um, in that regard, um, the field stuff, you get that education, um, in the field when you're out there doing things. Um, and yeah, and it's been great. I mean, yeah, I've sat in trenches from two to four and four to six. I, I honestly can't tell you which shift is better or worse. They're both not fun. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it it's part of the job and it's what we do and and it's it's not that often, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A couple times th- couple times a year on an army base if if the training cycle works out, usually a spring and a fall X is what you can kind of count on.
0: Right. It's better than winter, I guess, having a spring and fall.
1: <laughs> yeah, well I guess it's debatable. <laughs> it, it is that it is Alberta yeah <laughs> anytime after Thanksgiving, you can count on snow, so
0: right, yeah I guess it depends on where you are <laughs> throughout there, and you touched on this briefly, the posting so how does your posting work? do you get to do you pick a couple and they kind of send you where the need is, or how does that work when you come out of basic or out
1: of your yes so on my on your threes they'll um ask you to submit your posting preferences, so you pick three places you'd like to go mm-hmm. um we always joke that uh, you can write down whatever you want, but for the most part, they kind of already have a plan. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, in in their defense, they have positions they need to fill across the country. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had asked for Edmonton as my number one, um, because I had never been to another province until I joined and went to Quebec for basic training. So I thought if the military is going to pay for it, then why not Why not see the country? So, um, and Edmonton wasn't a popular choice for Mm -hmm. people to go to. So, um, I ended up getting that, um, Trenton. Um, and then once you're in, um, so once you get here, um, we have a program called Emma, the not even sure what the acronym stands for now, Employee Management. Anyway, it, I'm not sure, sure what it stands for. You could probably look that up, but it's Emma, E-M-A-A. And on there, we have a spot for your career. And you can put in your posting preferences, and your career manager will see that. There's also a spot for you to write a little note on what you would like to do. Um, and again, it's they take it into consideration, but there's no guarantees that you'll get what you want. Um, you know, some people, a lot of people seem to want to join and then be close to home. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always work out. Um, you know, everybody from Ontario can't stay in Ontario. You know, everybody from Quebec can't stay in Quebec. So,
0: mm-hmm. so you yeah. kind of
1: have to, <laughs> pardon me?
0: We have a big country to build to yeah. positions across.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. very big. It's, a, it's amazing how many people don't understand that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, so you touched on this, uh, your deployment overseas. So just to recap, you went to Afghanistan in 2006 and again in 2010, Kuwait in 2017 and Iraq in 2019. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering like, how do they tell you that you're going to deploy? Like what's kind of like the lead up to that?
1: So 2006 was right kind of in the middle of Afghanistan. So we knew that every other year, a battle group was going over. So we knew, um, so you kind of just, you're there. They try to share the wealth and not have people going over repeatedly um, for a lot of reasons. Um, So it actually worked out for me that I was an alternate and then um, someone got injured and I got picked up late. So I had to rush through some training quickly And then, uh, which was, which I liked better. Sometimes less notice is better. You just kind of react and go instead of having all that work up and time to, to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, the tour in 2010 was an air force tour out of Trenton. I actually did, uh, spare parts for a new, uh, plane that the air force had purchased. So that one, um, they just, came to me at work and asked if I wanted to go right. so I said yes uh 2016-17 there um literally on a Wednesday morning stables parade at the end of the parade they called out a bunch of names and asked everybody those people to stay behind um so we all gathered around and we were kind of like what's going on and then the uh, um I think it was a. Uh, Warrant officer, the officer said, we've selected you guys to go over, um, in November. So that was kind of, if you wanted to say no, or couldn't go, or had some reasons why, then that was kind of your time to let them know right away. And, and yeah, so we got lucky. That was, that was the longest one I did. That was close to nine months. Um, and then. Um, I was working at one field ambulance and the cell called me and asked me if I'd be interested in a tour, which I wasn't expecting one from that unit because my position, there was only one spot that my position went overseas and they had closed down that um, that part of the base mm-hmm. overseas. So I didn't expect to get one, mm-hmm. um, but I guess something came down that they couldn't fill a spot and they came and asked if I would go. So. So I said yes to that as well. Wow. I'm currently, currently very lightly penciled in to go again, but I don't think that one's going to work out.
0: Wow. Okay. So in your almost 20 year career, you've almost been over maybe five times if this one works out. But...
1: Uh, yeah. If this one works out, it'd be my fifth. Yeah. But, but four for sure. Um, I, I love them. I mean, for me, in our trade, it's the time to go and actually do nothing but your job. Like you are a material management technician 24 7 for the whole time you're over there. Um, There are some secondary duties. um, You know, they hire cleaners from off the base and you'll have to, you know, escort them around camp while they clean and stuff like that. But I mean, for the most part, you're going to be in the shop doing your job. every day Uh, real drawback it depends where you are Um, for me the tours I've been on there really isn't a whole lot to do outside of camp so it's a little boring that way you go to the gym a lot you watch a lot of Netflix and movies um, and you work a lot because there's not a whole lot else to do but um, all in all it's I I enjoy it a lot
0: and how does your family react when you get or do you, do you give them a heads up that you might be deployed or is it more kind of like this happened and then you kind of tell them?
1: Uh, no, I usually tell them that I'm, I'm in, I don't, I'm, my mom's a worrier, so, um, mm-hmm. it's tough to tell her cause I know she'll worry, but yeah, uh, I think the big thing is that she, I think she feels like it's war. So mm-hmm. there's that risk of, of getting, you know, injured or worse. Um, and it's really okay Afghanistan <laughs> in two thousand six Afghanistan was very different than even when it was in two thousand ten um it was still i think we were what we got out of there in twenty fourteen, so we are still four years away from from leaving Afghanistan, but things were much more uh calm than they were in two thousand six mm-hmm. um I would say o six was probably the only time. I felt there was ever a risk that anything could actually happen. Um, And the trip, the tour to Kuwait, and then the second one was mostly Iraq. Even then, um, yeah, it was, the only thing I was worried about was the heat. The the second time to Iraq was a summer tour, and and it gets super hot.
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, that's... So do yeah, they get kind of like a, a, a prep course, depending on where you're going?
1: Um, so we get what they call, um, mission specific training. So whatever your mission is, they'll go through some different training, like cultural briefs and, um, they'll go through the weather and you know, what to expect in the climate and that, I mean, all of our stuff is, is air conditioned. So your offices are air conditioned and stuff like that. But at, you can have the AC set at 19 degrees when it's 55 outside. It feels nice when you walk into the room, but it, after a half an hour, an hour in the air conditioned room, it's still hot yeah. and, and it's almost worse because then you go outside and 55 suddenly feels like 65 and it's just,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 And I drink um, a lot
1: of, a lot of smoothies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: From your from your perspective of the supply side as well, when you're on these deployments and even in your daily kind of work, how do you interface with the more combat-oriented roles? Do you interact with them often or are you more kind of just like feeding them the materials they need and they don't really see you as much?
1: Um, so it would depend on where you are. So at the service battalion, we support them. So I wouldn't see um, a lot of combat arms guys, I would see their supply techs more so than I would see their, or sorry, MM techs more so than I would see the actual combat guys and, and girls there. Um, but if you're an MMT in the RQ shop at those units, you're going to work with them directly all the time on tours. It's a little bit of a mix. You'll see them a little bit more because it's just, a uh, uh, smaller footprint and in, in where you are, they're right there beside you. Um, so, like, for example, when I was at uh, one CER, um, the squadrons, as they call them, um, companies, squadrons, they all have um, what we call a, a quartermaster, and it's usually that combat arms trade. So it will be a warrant officer engineer that will come and, and liaise with us at the shop to get their stuff and make sure they're ordering things properly um, so at an infantry unit you'll be dealing with infanteers um, directly on how to do basically the material management function they get a crash course on how to do how to fill out the forms how to fill out the tags how to request lpo stuff how many quotes they need for if it's a certain dollar value there's a regulations on how many quotes they need to provide us in order for us to go out and get them what they're looking for. So you'll deal with them a lot more directly there.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, And then I guess just going back to kind of your experience um, being deployed, I think you pointed out one misconception that a lot of us, including myself, have, which is um that all these tours and stuff are directly like in a war in a war zone i think that's mostly because of you know tv and movies right yeah, um, yeah. i was wondering if you could kind of just maybe give us a little bit more of a visual kind of walk through what it's like to be there so we can picture it a bit
1: um so we use the term groundhog day a lot um, once you get in there and you get into a routine i think that would be the best advice i could give people going on their first tour is get yourself into a a bit of a routine um you know if breakfast is your thing um if you like to go get up and do pt and then go to breakfast then try to try to do that there Um, like i said you have a lot of time on your hands and there's not much to do so sometimes the facilities are a little limited So getting up and going to PT in the morning might be good. You might get to the gym and it's packed and think, okay, maybe I'll change my routine and I'll go, you know, after work or because usually anytime from four o'clock till 11 o'clock at night, it's kind of hit and miss on when the gym will be busy. Um, so you you get yourself into a routine right away, uh, or as soon as you can. Um, sometimes work will get in the way because obviously you're there to do that job. So it's going to take priority. Um, Afghanistan, the first time around, was very different. So I was lucky, unlucky, I guess. It depends how you look at it. I never went outside the wire, as we called it. So I stayed in Kandahar Airfield. Um, uh, I would walk from. Our, we were in tents at that point, so there was eight of us in a tent. Um, you had a little uh, rectangle, maybe six feet by. 10 feet. that was your space. Um, so you had your cot, um, use my barrack boxes as a bedside table and, uh, one of those hanging shoe things in my room for like socks, underwear, t-shirts and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a laptop, if you brought one, whatever, for your own entertainment, just something like that. And maybe a lawn chair, um, if you brought it with you. Um, There was a little bit more going on then. So the biggest threat we had in that tour was rocket attacks. So they would just randomly shoot rockets in at one point it affects everybody differently. So I can only speak for my personal feelings was for me, it got a little annoying because they'd bomb us at three in the morning and I'm like, dude, I'm tired, I want to sleep, Mm -hmm. (laughs) stop waking me up. Um, But. We had a couple, I had two real kind of scary ones, me and some friends that hit the gym after work. Um, The meal facility closes at 8 p.m. So we always went, uh, worked out, showered, cleaned up, and then we went for a late supper around 7.30. And as we were walking to supper, um, we had a rocket go over our heads. Uh, It ended up landing probably 300 meters past us um it's not like it is on tv every single time they don't always whistle um this one this one did but you knew it was close so we all hit the deck um and it was kind of funny because when after it went boom um the horn goes off to and everybody's you go to the bunkers and take cover cuz you don't know if more are coming right. and uh, one one of my buddies got up and he's like well there goes supper i guess so <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know. I've always had like, there try to worry about the things I can control. I can't control that. So, mm-hmm. to wander around scared all day. Just didn't really make a lot of sense to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it affects people very differently. Um, I had some friends who did get outside the wire and, and from all accounts, things were a little crazier out there. And a lot more nerve wracking, um, 2010, when I went over, like I said, things were very, very, very different. They were a lot calmer. I would say that we probably only had four or five rocket attacks over the course of that whole tour. Um, we had, there wasn't a lot of, um, incidents of combat outside. Like, like when, if, if a member passes away out on the battlefield. We have a a ramp ceremony for them before they go home. Um, My first tour, um, I did 11 ramp parades, Um, not all for Canadians, but um, I did 11 ramp parades. Um, In 2010 comparatively, I did one. So, uh, sorry, two, one was for another nation. Um, And then Kuwait, um, when I went there, very like nothing no rocket attacks um i always called it garrison in the desert it's it's like being at home except you're not at home um and the only thing that happened there was on my first tour there was a a member who unfortunately passed away working out in the gym in jordan and they flew us to um so they flew a small group of us from kuwait to jordan to do his ramp parade um because all the troops that he worked with wanted to honor him by being in line on parade as he went by so they asked us to come and send a group over to carry him so we did that. Um, people ask me about that and i'm like I think they're confused when I tell them that it was it was an honor and, and what I mean by that is that I was proud to carry him, I would rather never do that again in my career. Um, but. You know he's they're they're a fallen comrade and and it's 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 part of the process um it's an unfortunate part of the process but um it was it was a very different experience i'm glad to have experienced but i'd rather not have to experience it again so um and then in iraq ironically um yeah it was it was great there was There was nothing really going on. I think I had one rocket attack in in Iraq in in my 2019 tour and that was it. Um, I left before things got a little crazy over there and in late 19, early 20, things went a little, a little sideways. Um, I had some friends who I was on tour with and I came home and they stayed and they had a little more um, incidents than I did, but it was all in all. it, It wasn't really too bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something that a regular civilian, at least living in our part of the world would not experience, which is, mm-hmm. is definitely I can see how it would change you as a person to come back from that, you know, like, carrying mm-hmm. your fallen comrades and all those experiences. Yeah. Um, and I think like, telling stories like this help the general public kind of understand that Canadian Army and Canadian military, like is active, and we do do operations abroad um Mm -hmm. so thanks for sharing that um even
1: though it wasn't the most happy yeah Yeah. I think uh, for me coming home from my first tour coming home the biggest issue I had was patience I had none like when you're over there things are moving quickly it's busy like it's super busy you could work 20 hours a day and and with no problem at all and still have tons and tons of work to do Um, so sometimes tasks come up that interrupt your work, right? We need to go and, um, escort in some guys with some kids. So we need to escort them in. And you're like, I don't, you know, you don't want to do it. You're like, I got work to do. My desk is piling up, but you don't, you don't sit around and mope about it. You're, you get, you might mutter as you get up and go, but you get up and go. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: So when I came home, the more relaxed, which is kind of ironic because I you know, once you're home for a while, you kind of feel like in North America, we're just too busy. We're too all over the place. But when you come home, um, you know, little things like, okay, we're going to go here. Um, I'm still big on timings. So if right. you're not, like, I'm in the army. So if you're not 10 minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I struggled with that a lot. I would be standing at the door waiting to go because we were supposed to go somewhere. And I'm just tapping my foot like, okay, like, come on, let's go. Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> so I really
1: struggled when I came home with my patients. I just, I had none. Like if we were doing something, let's go, let's get it done. And, and uh, it took a little while to relax and back that off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Even just for me, I did um, basic like reserves BMOQ. And I just remember when I came, when I was done, even just that one course, I was looking at my watch every time someone said they'd be here at a certain time. And I'm like, you're two minutes late. It's two minutes. <laughs> I was like, to so in a small yeah. way, I can kind of understand what you're what you're saying there. Um, yeah. And I think before, like off camera, you mentioned that you were golfing somewhere. <laughs> Do you mind just explaining that experience and how it <laughs> happened to the military?
1: So my first tour in um, into Afghanistan, we had to stop in Dubai. Um, Dubai was our secret base, so it was actually called Camp Mirage, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> But the I, as far as I understand it, the legalities of it was we couldn't just land in Dubai and then leave to Afghanistan. We had to spend so much time in Dubai, uh-huh. uh, and I'm, I don't know if that's a passport thing or uh, or what exactly that was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you're also limited to how many chocks there are flying in and out of Dubai into Afghanistan. So sometimes you get lucky and you get an extra day in Dubai, and sometimes you don't. You land you get to camp and they're like, yeah, your flight's going out at 11 o'clock tonight. And they're like, okay, I guess we're just throwing on a uniform and away we go. Um, I got lucky and got an extra half day. So I actually booked through the the PSP there to go golfing in Dubai. Um, So I got in a round of golf in Dubai. Um, In 2016, on the way home, we stayed in Cologne and we got um, basically a day and a half for that. So I called ahead and booked a tea time. So when our plane landed in Cologne, um, I got a taxi from there to the hotel room, had a quick shower, changed into some civvy clothes and got in the cab to the golf course and and played 18 holes in in Germany. Um, So that was pretty cool. and then I golfed on my way home from my 2010 tour. Uh, we had decompression in Cyprus, um, so you're there for three days, I think it was. And one of the excursions you could do was golfing there too. So I've gotten lucky to golf in some different places. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of perks and, and different things with being in. Um, you know the exercises uh even on a regular like i said spring and fall exercises. you might be gone for a month um if it's a big one you might be gone for a couple of months um, but when you come home there's usually you do your post extras so you clean up your kit um, get it all tucked away and then usually there, you know your bosses will give you a few days off to cover like a day for every weekend you are off and and that doesn't cut into your annual leave. That's just because you're away for two months. We're going to give you a little time to, to decompress and and you know spend some time with your families and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it sucks when you're standing in a trench at two and until four in the morning or four to six watching the frost creep over your your weapon and trying to stay warm. But then when you're off for a week and then everybody else is in the civvy world is working, it's yeah. not so bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And I guess you do get to, you know, travel a little bit too and see different parts of the world, even if it's just a stopover. So that's pretty Yeah. Hard.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I spent 24 hours in Amsterdam on my way into Kuwait, uh, my second tour. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some perks.
0: Yeah. When you're talking about golf, all I was thinking about is my dad would totally do that. Like book the tee time before you land. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, what was really funny with that was, uh, there was something wrong with the, cause it was a military aircraft. There was something wrong with it. And we were delayed and I'm sitting there, I'm like telling my officer, I'm like, we better get going. Like, if we don't get going, I'm missing my tea time. Like we got to get this plane moving.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good.
0: <laughs> so throughout all these experiences, what kind of relationships have you formed? Do you, do you stay in contact with anyone from like your basic, um, or,
1: um, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, she's out now, um, she's a medic. We did basic together. Um, I came to Edmonton, I think she went to Petawawa. um, and we actually ran into each other. So basic was 2002. We ran into each other in Afghanistan in 2010.
0: Wow, that's crazy. <laughs>
1: um, and then we were on the same chalk home, so we spent our decompression in Cyprus together and got to catch up and and hang out so that was really cool Mm -hmm. um and then she got posted so that was 2010 i got posted back to edmonton in 14 and i think she came here in 12 so we ended up being here and she's out now but she's still in the area. i think she's moving back to newfoundland in the summer this summer but uh so yeah she's there a girl i did basic with uh is actually a warrant officer in service battalion with me now um one of my best friends is a clerk, he's an MWO clerk in uh, Italy right now. Wow. And yeah, that's where he's posted. Um, and we talk, I'd say we talk once a month, we've seen each other. So we were in Borden on our threes together. Uh, he was obviously on the clerk course. I was on the, and the supply one. Uh, and then when I was in Trenton, he was in Montreal, um, so I went to Montreal and we hung out for a weekend there. And then late in my time in Trenton, I took my son to Ottawa to, uh, so I took Cameron to a uh, Flyers game in Ottawa.
0: Oh, that's sweet.
1: <laughs> and my, uh, my buddy was in Ottawa at the time, so he was at the game. So we met up at the hotel ah. after and <laughs> had, a few, had a few beers to catch up. And that would be the last time I saw Bill. Um, but I talked to him, I would say, probably every couple of weeks or at least once a month see how italy's doing and let him rub it in a little bit that he's uh hanging out over there but but uh yeah so the thing about the military that i love is like i said basic um you're into high pressure situations very quickly so you learn to um, teamwork is the key um mm-hmm. and you learn a lot about people really really fast you're spending a lot of hours with them um, so the time duration seems short like it's only eight ten weeks mm-hmm. um, but when you're spending you know, almost with some people like the person for me, the guy right beside me, um, you're you're spending like 14 hours a day with this person. <laughs> right, you get to know them pretty quickly. And and, uh, and then you get to have some laughs and some fun and, and you go through some ups and downs. Um, kind of it's, it, it's not something that you get in the civilian world very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do make really good friends and i find that for us you just kind of pick up right you haven't seen somebody for five years and you meet them and you're like it doesn't seem like you it seems like you just saw them yesterday it's just you really seem to pick up where you left off and
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool seems like the best types of relationships that you could have <laughs> you know like you're very close you don't necessarily see them all the time but then when you do you have lots to talk about it's like nothing happened so
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: awesome. Um, I guess one other thing I'm wondering about is how often do you kind of work with allied forces? Like, do you ever do like training exercises with them or,
1: um... um, so here we do when we're, when Edmonton is, um, up for high readiness, we do, um, an exercise. It happens every year in Wainwright because the training area is big. Um, and it's called, uh, Maple Resolve so when maple resolve is on we have american troops come up and different nations and we will work with them together um when i'm uh when i'm overseas we would see them more now my first tour um, we were our own battle group so i didn't work with them much directly you'd see them around all the time like you name it everybody's there um and they all have their own little camps and stores it's really cool it's a It's a town like when I went over in two thousand ten, I think they said that the population at Kandahar Airfield was somewhere around thirty thousand people. Oh wow with everybody <laughs> there um, so my sec- yeah in two thousand ten in the air Force world, we work a lot with them because a lot of us have the same planes, the same infrastructure they're you know they're um the hercules aircraft everybody and nato uses it so um we would talk to them all the time for parts if i needed a part and didn't have it i could go to the marines uh the u.s air force the british air force and ask them if they had any parts they would come to me and ask if they had any if i had something they were looking for um, it's a little difficult for us uh, at times because at that time the plane was brand new so it was really difficult for us to to share too much but you try to work with them because we're all on the same team um and and it's pretty fun to do that um i actually got a a coin from the marine us marine guy because i helped him out a little bit he got in a couple of jams with some of his aircraft so we helped him out a bit and and so that was pretty cool and 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 they're fun and it's fun to see their camp and how they're set up and the equipment they have um, in iraq worked with the um, american a lot of their traffic techs the ones who are responsible with the aircraft pallets and loading and unloading the aircraft work with them quite a bit um, yeah so it, and that's fun that's fun when you get to see how other countries do it it's fun i did an exercise uh, in 2005 in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Oh
0: wow!
1: And uh, and it's fun working with them um, and talking to them. <laughs> so when we got there, we had our truck, just a cube van full of all our kits, so rucksacks, bear boxes, everything. And we got in, and it was like I don't know, it was starting to get dark. So the truck pulls in, and we all line up behind the truck, and we're just having an assembly line, right? We're pulling shit off, and then you're like, if you see yours, put it behind you. But other than that, keep it going. We'll lay it all out in two lines and then just come and grab your kit. So we do that. And a bunch of the Americans who we haven't really met yet are standing off in the smoke pit off to the side, watching us do this. So we get out of that, we get inside, we throw our kit on a bunk and then come outside and they're like, man, that was impressive. Like what, what, what was impressive? And they're like, we'd still be standing there. If that was us trying to sort out our kit, you guys had it done in like 20 minutes. And I'm like, and we're all like, that was actually a shit show. Like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So
1: they thought it was great. And we were like, "Yeah, well, you know, but it's just, it's fun when you get there. Cause you see how others mm-hmm. do things. And, and sometimes you have, you know, you're some great ideas. You're like, Hey, that's really awesome. How they do that. We should be doing that too. So it, it works out really well.
0: It's fun. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, that seems really cool. I think working with other militaries would just be, it's interesting because you can kind of see the parallels but also the differences and especially with allied countries like we're all similar i i think anyways in the way that we do and operate and kind of like our mandates and stuff um but the but the little things could be a little different so it's pretty interesting yeah. Thanks for sharing that <laughs> um we're getting to the end of the hour now almost so i just have like okay. a couple more questions yeah sure first one um is there something that you believed about the military before that you don't necessarily believe to be true now? Hmm. Sorry. That's a, I think, I think the big thing
1: that I, that I learned was the, the difference between, um, basic training and actual base life is almost a complete 180
0: all right
1: like in basic like i said it's timings it's here it's someone's in your face they're telling you to move you're going to here you got 30 minutes to eat your supper and and then you got to be back here and do this and do that and the old um the old saying hurry up and wait is not a basic training model it is a real like on base model we do a lot of holy crap we gotta get this stuff ready and let's do this and then you'll do it and you'll be ready and it'll be like okay we're not sure if we're actually gonna do this or not (laughs) right and you're like okay so now we're just gonna we're just gonna wait and see what's gonna happen it's just it's almost a complete 180 from go 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 and stuff is happening to You know we've we've got time like here you know let's let's plan this out and and do this and then that switch will get flipped on and off throughout your career you'll have exercises where you'll be super slow and there's not much going on and then all of a sudden um you'll have to do a uh you know a commodity run out to the field at two in the morning and you'll be out there from two to six and it'll be nonstop. people coming in your trucks are lined up you're passing you know, different commodities across trucks to other, other units and out that are out in the training area training. And then you'll come back in and then you'll have a lull and it'll be like, hmm. okay, get, get some sleep. That's the other, you know, when you're in the field, there's always that if, you know, when in doubt rack out, if you don't have anything to do, or you're not sure what you're doing, get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Cause you never know when you could be gone from one in the morning till six in the morning and not be able to do anything but work. Hmm. And you sat around all day wide awake doing nothing when you didn't, need to be so yeah mm-hmm. as long as somebody knows where you are hey i'm gonna go lie down perfect if i need you i'll come find you <laughs> so, so, yeah but it's a very it, yeah you just seem to go from even after you're th- after basic and you go to your trades training for me the switch was still on mm-hmm. it was still time pt is at this time breakfast is here you're in the classroom seated by this time you're march for lunch and then you march back after lunch and you're after class is over you march out and then you're on your own after that so it's still very regimented um when you get into here um yeah i well i mean with covid things are different but i can't even tell you the last time i did drill
0: yeah i was gonna that's
1: it's, it's been a long time since i've done drill <laughs> I'm hoping I remember it when the time comes, but it's been a long time since I've done drill.
0: Right. Yeah. I guess there are like kind of, you know, it's kind of like a cycle. You're not necessarily always go, 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 but maybe you are in certain situations and then you have to kind of adapt. And I found that in my short stay in the reserves, it was very timing oriented during basic, but then there'd be times where maybe we had to get kit for like a certain exercise. And we'd be waiting for like three hours or something, you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to yep. learn how to wait, but also how to move fast. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you can, if anyone's looking to join, if you can get that switch, like that's the best analogy I can, is when it's on, it's on. And when it's off, it's off. Um, you know, for me, what I try to try to tell my subordinates is that I'm very big on teamwork, right? I'm, I'm, yes, I'm the Sergeant. Okay, fine. Um, but, even all the corporals, I don't care. Like I, I want to work as a team. I want to have fun while we're doing it, but accomplish the job. Right. Um, and if I have to use the rank, then we will, but I don't want to be that guy who comes in there and is like, I'm a Sergeant. You're going to listen and do whatever I say. Mm-hmm. Well, that's to me. That's, I think the, the thing that people need to learn is that um, like when I joined the joke was well, I did my basic in Cornwallis and they used to hit us and they used to do this and they used to do that. And then when I was in basic, they would yell at you, right? And and I'm like, but you got to understand that, like, I was 30 when I joined. But some of these 18-year-olds, their version of discipline when they were a kid was a time out in the corner. Like, you have <laughs> to adapt,
0: right? right?
1: They weren't, they're not used to someone screaming in their face, telling them what to do. <laughs> Me, I didn't, like, whatever. <laughs> but if you're not used to that, then that is going to scare the crap out of them. All right if the sooner you can figure out that it, it's a game and when it's on it's on right if there's certain people in the room then i become the sergeant if if there's certain people aren't in the room and and then we're all on the same team and you can relax and just do what you got to do i think this quicker people can figure out that part of the military they'll enjoy it a lot more we're not all even still we'll get times where they're like oh the the base commander is going to be doing a walkthrough and and people will be running around like oh we got to clean up this and we got to do that i'm like he puts his pants on one leg at a time the same as everybody else like he's just a person like obviously be respectful don't be an idiot but you don't have to run around scared Mm -hmm. they're people too right i
0: think that's really good advice (laughs) um Maybe just, which question? Last question maybe here. Um, okay, what do you wish the Canadian population knew about the Canadian Armed Forces, if anything?
1: That's an easy one for me. I wish that they could see, I think they see what how good of a job we do. Um, I think that we're well-respected As a military like from my experience working with other nations, I feel like um, we're well respected and they, they really appreciate us. Um, I've heard stories of obviously different trades the infantry trades and our special forces guys and stuff like that where they're highly respected by other nations and I think that that's awesome what i'd like the Canadian public to know to realize is how good our troops are with how little we have. like our infrastructure at times, some buildings are, are not great. Um, you know, the building that I'm in, isn't in the best condition. Um, and it's difficult to get the funds to fix those things. Our computer systems are, are (laughs) a little outdated. I think we're on windows 10 now, finally, like we're just, it's, I just feel like we do a lot with very little. And I think that the general public just doesn't realize, um, I think they feel like we get a whole bunch of money and we get to, um, and we have all this fantastic kid and all this great stuff. And and we do have some decent stuff for sure. And it's gotten better, but I think that they'd be surprised if they were to see some of the, some of the things we work with and deal with Um that, you know, it's impressive what we can do.
0: Yeah, for sure um that's a good point to end it out there (laughs) um I think you added a lot of value thank you for doing this interview I think like for myself personally as well even through trying to research and you know meet with different people and learn more this was a really really insightful interview I think people are really going to love some of the insights that you shared especially about your trade um and your deployments and all that great stuff so thanks so much for being here sergeant Tonkin
1: no problem at all (laughs) thanks for having me it was fun
0: Awesome. Thank you so much and have a great day.
1: Yes, you too.